a few of the many ways the American Lung Association is fighting to protect the air we breathe, both indoors and out. See what you can do at fightingforair.org. The following program was paid for by Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. The views and opinions expressed on Answers Live are not necessarily those of the staff and management of the station. Management has not investigated the claims made during this program. The views and medical recommendations of guests on Answers Live are not necessarily those of Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. As always, consult your health professional regarding any medical decisions. Welcome to Answers Live, your community medical connection, making a partnership of good health. The studio lines are open for your calls and questions. Call 973-267-9687. Now, here's your host, Tom Wood. Good morning and welcome to Answers Live, your community medical connection, creating a partnership of good health. I'm your host, Tom Wood from ANS. Answers Live is a live call-in show, so I'm going to stress that you do call in and speak to my guest. It's 973-267-9687. Again, that's 973-267-9687, or WMTR. Answers Live is brought to you every Sunday by Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialist, ANS. Uh, we are the largest uh, subspecialized neurosurgery group in the state of New Jersey, we have our main location in Morristown at 310 Madison Avenue in Morristown. To reach us there, our number is 973-285-7800. We also have seven other locations throughout the state. Our newest one is located in Bedminster, New Jersey on Main Street at the Schoolhouse Village. Again, in the Schoolhouse Village in Bedminster. So Somerset County, you do have access to the uh, great guys in our group. Today, uh, we're going to be speaking to Dr. Karen Tennyson from Kessler. Good morning, Dr. Tennyson. Good morning, Tom. Uh, how are we doing today? Good. Great. Okay, today our topic uh, is new to me, so I'm very excited and interested. Uh, but before we start, Dr. Tennyson, just let us know a little bit about uh, who you are, uh, your educational background, and uh, where you work, and how people can actually reach you. Uh, I am a clinical psychologist, and I, let's see, I did my training, my undergraduate degree is from the College of Holy Cross in Massachusetts, and then I completed my graduate degree and earned my PhD from the University of Louisville in Kentucky. And from there, I did a year internship at the Tampa VA Medical Center, as well as a year postdoc training at the Tampa VA Medical Center and the Florida Mental Health Institute down there in Florida. And currently, I am working for Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation in Chester, New Jersey, and I'm a neuropsychologist. And uh, anyone can reach me by calling the main number for Kessler, or you can call my direct line at 973-252-6380. Okay. That's uh, great. Wow. I'm very impressed with those uh, wonderful credentials. Now, for me and for everyone listening, we want to basically understand what is a neuropsychologist and how is that different from a regular psychologist or a psychiatrist? That is a question that I often get asked, and the general population a lot of times does not know the difference between these specialties. So let me start with uh, what a neuropsychologist and what a psychologist is not, and that is I am not a medical doctor. Okay. So a psychiatrist is a medical doctor. A psychiatrist completes medical school and is trained like any other medical doctor out there, but then specializes in psychiatry, which is basically looking at different psychiatric issues and problems like depression, anxiety. A psychiatrist 
psychiatrist prescribes medication. Psychologists do not prescribe medication. And a psychiatrist most of the time will monitor a person's medication for whatever kind of issues they're having. So it's pretty common for someone to see their psychiatrist maybe once every two or three months once they're stable. And that psychiatrist will monitor their medication, make any adjustments or changes. But a lot of times the psychiatrist does not do a lot of counseling. So one of the complaints that I get from people is, you know, I went to see my psychiatrist and they won't talk to me. They just want to change my meds. <laughs> and really, that's not what a psychiatrist's job is to do. They really are looking at those medications and adjusting things. But they're not so much trained in the counseling part. And that's where psychology comes in. Someone may also see, though, a, a nurse practitioner, a psychiatric nurse practitioner, and that kind of professional may do counseling as well as medication management. So someone there may actually get some counseling while they're adjusting their medications. But a psychologist is trained very differently. I attended graduate school, not medical school. And graduate school is about five to six years of training where we're really learning how to assess all kinds of psychological difficulties. Uh, we're trained in assessments of uh, doing lots of different kinds of tests to figure out what's going on. Uh, and then also we're trained in therapy to look at different kinds of counseling and psychotherapy techniques to treat depression, anxiety without medication. And research has shown that the most effective treatments for some of these difficulties, like for depression or for anxiety, is a combination of medication and therapy. So it's important that someone is really addressing their problems in both ways. Okay. So that, that did clear it up. So um, when people go for, say, therapy, and most of us, uh, including myself at some point, have gone for therapy um, to a psychologist, that's basically your training. Um, when we speak about your title, it's a neuropsychologist. Mm -hmm. um, um, so if I needed to speak to you and, and uh, discuss counseling, you can do that. Mm -hmm. But you also, I guess, have extra training or a specialized training in a neuropsychology part. Right. Okay. So a neuropsychologist is a special specialization of psychology. And as a neuropsychologist, I'm really looking at how the, the brain is controlling different kinds of behavior. So if you think about our brain, our brain controls everything from all of our movements and actions, our thoughts, our feelings, uh, our cognitive processes, how we think about things, how we complete different tasks. And as a neuropsychologist, I'm looking at assessing all of those different things. So I do a lot of testing where I'm giving people tests to look at their memory, to look at their attention and their processing speed. And I'm doing a lot of assessments in that area and then making recommendations for how to help someone improve those functions. But then I can also provide counseling as well, counseling for adjusting to different kinds of difficulties or even just regular psychological counseling for a variety of issues. Okay, so you basically two-part. You can you deal with these neuro problems that someone might have and then also associated problems like depression or difficulty accepting new new changes in their body or something that might have happened, uh, which leads me to a question is when might someone want to come see a neuropsychologist? Uh, what I work with is I work with a lot of people who have had difficulties in terms of illnesses or injuries. So if someone's been in a car accident and suffered a concussion or a more significant brain injury, that person may want to see a neuropsychologist for some assessment. But I also work with people who have had just different medical problems like a stroke, different illnesses like multiple sclerosis that can lead to some cognitive difficulties. 
Lyme disease, surprisingly, can also lead to some cognitive difficulties. So I've seen people who have those kind of issues as well. And then various forms of dementia, you know, something like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's disease, any kind of a problem or an illness or an injury that can lead to a person's brain not functioning the way it should be. Those are the types of issues that I that I work with. Okay. Um, this isn't the first time you and I met, actually. Uh, Dr. Tennyson was at our support group. Uh, Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialist runs a support group uh, the last Thursday, the fourth Thursday of every month for brain tumor patients. And um, I had her come to the... Um, to our session as a guest, and I listened to her speak to the brain tumor patients, and I was very impressed with you and, and what you had to say to them, and the group actually was very impressed, and it, it did help them a lot, and that was only about a half hour with you uh, speaking to a large group, so it wasn't uh, focused, so I understand personally how you did help a lot of those people. Um, in, in that discussion, of course, I didn't see is, is the evaluation. So when someone does come to you with a post-stroke, post-traumatic, um, a brain tumor where they've had the surgery and they're just not the same and things are different and they have difficulty now or disabilities that they're dealing with, um, what is an evaluation? Um, how long does it take and, and what is necessary for that type of evaluation? There's a wide range in how long it can take. Uh, depending on a person's issues and difficulties, how severe their issues are, how much testing they can withstand, but it can take anywhere from, I would say, maybe two hours till eight hours. You know, So there is a lot involved with it. And what the testing involves is just looking at a person's different cognitive abilities and seeing how well they can perform various tasks. So for example, I look at memory and I may read a person a list of words or read them some stories and see how much they can remember over time. And then they're compared at the end of that to someone else their same age, same educational background to see where they're falling and to see if they're falling you know, in the average range or above that or below that. And I also look at things like processing speed. I may give people some tasks that are pretty simple, but they're timed just to see how quickly they can do them. And there's a certain range that's normal for the average person, and I'm looking to see if they fit into that range. We also look at things like problem solving, planning, organization, language. So the evaluation is really just trying to assess all of those different cognitive functions and to determine if there's been any compromise due to a person's injury or illness. Okay. Would that be the same for adults and children? Do you test people differently? Same types of tests for adults and children? Same types of tests, but they're different tests. Uh, when I work at Kessler and I work with adults, I'm really looking at people ages 17 and up. And if I was going to assess someone who was younger than that, I'd need similar tests, but different tests based on their age. You know, if you think about it, someone who's, you know, in maybe the sixth grade who's 12 years old, their range of abilities is very different from a grown adult who's in their 40s or from someone who's geriatric. Right. So we're really looking at similar types of cognitive functions, but their skill set might be different. Okay. So once we uh, you do the evaluations and you see there is a there is a change or there's a difficulty there, um, then you then you formulate a plan. Is that what it is to help now strengthen those weaknesses or enable them to start coping and relearning? Is is what you do kind of retraining the brain to work in a different way or utilize areas of the brain that aren't damaged, so to speak? To... It's really, you know, both approaches. So what I do after the evaluation is I make some recommendations of different kinds of therapy that may help. And the therapy is really aimed to both strengthen the areas that are compromised, as well as teaching people some strategies where they can work around it, some compensatory strategies so they can compensate 
compensate for wherever their weaknesses are. So for example, if someone has memory problems, we may teach strategies that may improve memory or strategies you know, that just may help make their memory more efficient, writing things down, different strategies of how to remember something, things like that. Okay. Um, what are some common problems? I'm sure you see a vast majority of problems, but I'm sure there's a, a pretty much pigeonholed on specific disease processes or issues that you would see. What are the most common types of patients that you would see for a neuropsychological evaluation and treatment? see a lot of people have had traumatic injuries, such as in a car accident. Someone may be in a car accident, lose consciousness, have to go to the hospital, but then, then when as they're recovering, they may just not be the same. They may go back to work or school and have trouble. So definitely traumatic injuries, but I've seen even more traumatic than that. I've seen people who've had gunshot wounds to the head, so, you know, blunt trauma, assault. So there's the traumatic side of it. Um, and then with injuries and illnesses, or with illnesses, it's more things like stroke, aneurysms, brain tumors, any kind of brain surgery. A lot of times after a brain surgery, you know, the neurosurgeon or the neurologist may say that the person seems to be fine. They're walking, talking, you know, intact, but they, there may be some subtle changes that, you know, the neurosurgeon may not pick up on. And that's why the evaluation is going to be very important to figure out, you know, although the person is walking and talking, can they go back to the same job they were doing before? Right. Can they go back to that high level of functioning? Right. Um, at Atlantic we, uh, Neurosurgical, we, of course, our neurosurgery group, uh, we do pretty much everything you just said. We, we're the, we are the number one uh, group in the state that treats stroke. Uh, we do um, a lot of tumor patients, um, a lot of AVMs, a lot of aneurysm ruptures, and um, especially in our endovascular division, they're very, very strong on the post-procedural uh, or incident. Uh, we refer a lot of patients for neuropsychological, uh, and that is getting more and more prevalent in the group because we do realize, speaking to our patients, that after they've had a stroke or a tumor surgery or an aneurysm rupture, that clinically they're good i mean they're they're they've they've gone through it they've made it um but speaking with them they know that something is different and uh, it's helped them tremendously uh, going through these psychological assistance to let them know that it's okay it's a it's a normal um, reaction to a brain injury and that the brain has to kind of heal itself and that was what's very interesting and that's why this whole whole topic was um something that was interesting to me, of course, because of the surgeries that I see done. Um, but what are the most cognitive symptoms that you would see? Is it the memory um, when you have a traumatic injury or an incident to the brain? Is it more memory? Is it speaking difficulties? What What is the most cognitive things that you, you see the most? It really depends on the person's injury. So, okay. you know, there are language issues. On the more mild side might be some word-finding difficulty. The person may struggle just to find that right word. And depending on how they're coping with it, it could be more or less obvious to somebody else who's with them. So there are some language issues. Um, but memory is a big one. Memory, speed of processing, and just that higher level planning and organizing. And these are things you might not see, you know, just in your daily life unless you're back into that work situation where you're required to have good time management or be very efficient and quick. So a person may get out of the hospital, be at home recovering, and seem okay because somebody else is doing things for them. There's not a whole lot of cognitive challenge. And then they get back in that challenging environment of work and may struggle. And I think what you're saying is excellent, just to assure them that what they're going through is normal. They may need to have some more therapy. 
you know, their therapy is not done right when, you know, they're finished with their surgery, that there's a lot more recovery after that. Right. Well, like I said, it, it is a great, great science, and it's been very helpful to a lot of our patients. Um, talking about memory, before I forget, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. I'm Tom Wood of Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. Suffering from neck or back pain can truly disrupt your life. Every day I hear of the stories of people whose lives have been devastated by nerve pain, but who are afraid to see a neurosurgeon. They're scared of surgery. But at Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists, we make getting back to the life you want possible using a variety of minimally invasive treatments. Our group of specialists are among the best trained doctors in the state, the leaders in stroke and minimally invasive spine and brain tumor procedures, and we view surgery as the last option. Don't be afraid to end your pain. Trust Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. We have eight offices throughout New Jersey and are affiliated with most healthcare systems. Call 973-285-7800 or visit us at ansdocs.com. That's ansdocs.com. Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. We've truly got your back. WMTR. Welcome back to Answers Live. I'm your host, Tom Wood. I'm here with Dr. Karen Tennyson from Kessler Institute in Chester. We are talking about neuropsychology. We had a lot of great information in the first segment of the show about traumatic brain injury, <clears throat> excuse me, surgery, post-surgeries from aneurysms and strokes. Um, and basically any, any damage or, or uh, interruption in the brain can leave you with a lot of um, psychological um, issues and, and memory problems and functioning problems, and Dr. Tennyson is a specialist in that. Um, and we're going to start talking a little bit uh, more on this topic, um, I guess because summer's coming, so I wanted to mention, and we'll go into it a little bit, about a lot of the kids getting into sports. Uh, we talked about car accidents and strokes and aneurysms and brain tumors, um, but there are some common things that we face every day, especially with children, uh, concussions. That's a brain injury, correct? Absolutely. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, I know a lot of listeners are, are, are listening are interested in that. What are some common um, emotional changes or symptoms following a concussion that we should be aware of? We had a show on concussion a few weeks ago, and we learned a lot, but you're really this, you specialize in this. So what are some of those things we should look at after a concussion? Concussions are a very hot topic right now. Right. And years ago, when people would get injured in sports, they would go right back into the game. And we've realized over time that the additive effects of having concussion on top of concussion can really cause some significant and lasting damage. So now really the focus is on prevention of concussions, but also identifying those symptoms that happen right away. So initial symptoms may be something like, you know, difficulty with, you know, just kind of being a little disoriented right at the scene of the concussion, feeling dizzy, nauseous, lightheaded, and just a little confused about what's going on. Those are all symptoms that if someone has any of those, right now coaches are taking that person out of the game and not allowing them to come back into play until they've been cleared by their physician, which could be a couple weeks later. So beyond that and those initial symptoms, what can linger for a couple of weeks or even longer for some people are problems with attention and focus, irritability, difficulty sleeping, and just difficulty just doing more of those complex tasks, focusing in school if it's a child, you know, and all of those things, if those symptoms do not clear up, then someone would be need to assess, be assessed by a neuropsychologist. Or at Kessler, we also have a concussion clinic at our West Orange campus. 
And it's a comprehensive, multidisciplinary team that really consists of a physician, a neuropsychologist, and other therapists as well to really assess if that person needs any further intervention. Okay. And once you find uh, a deficit or a problem with them, um, and it kind of leads back to the other injuries too, what types of, of therapies and treatments do you do to retrain the brain or, or to get it to back to... I know sometimes there's an injury that you can never get back to where you were, but how do you get back to as best you can be? What types of little things do you do um, so we can have an understanding of what this therapy would entail? At Kessler, we have a cognitive rehabilitation therapy program, and really what that is is looking at these issues that someone may have, problems with memory, attention, focus, and just working with them on, again, rehabilitating those skills, strengthening those skills, and then also being able to compensate and work around it and find another way. And so the cognitive rehabilitation team is, is, is a main part of that. But a person may also need some additional therapy, maybe from a speech therapist if they have language issues, or from an occupational therapist, they may have some visual issues. So again, it is multidisciplinary, but the cognitive therapy part really looks at those purely cognitive issues okay. to help rehabilitate them. Okay. <clears throat> that gives us an idea. Um, my mind is running all over so many questions. It's such an interesting topic. Um, jumping back a little bit to memory, um, and um, dementia is something that, that is, is very prevalent. I hear a lot more people, um, as, of course, as we get older, that are diagnosed with dementia. And to me, that's a very scary topic. And you mentioned that you do see patients with dementia. What, if you can, if it's in your clinical expertise, what is dementia itself? And what types of things can you do to help people with that? A dementia is defined as a person who has some type of memory problems as well as problems in another cognitive domain. So if someone just has memory problems, then they don't qualify for a diagnosis of dementia. They would have to have either language problems or problems with planning or problem solving or something else. And then that would constitute, that's one of the criteria for dementia. Dementia is also progressive, uh, different than brain injury. People with brain injuries get better. People with dementia, it's a progressive deterioration. And there's several different kinds of dementia. Most common is Alzheimer's, but there are several different types of dementia. Dementia related to a stroke and then some other more rare forms of dementia that we're becoming more aware of. And what you can do for that person, definitely an evaluation to see where that person is at. And then really the therapy is geared to helping to keep quality of life. So helping to keep that person as independent as they can be as long as they're in a safe environment. So there's a lot of environmental strategies, you know, to keep that person safe in, in a safe environment. Uh, there's also therapy to work with the caregivers to help to troubleshoot and problem solve any difficulties they see on a regular basis in the home. A lot of times people with dementia aren't aware that they have a problem. That's part right. of the problem, yeah. that they don't have that awareness. So the safety and judgment is, is really, really important. Okay. <clears throat> what you said was interesting to me that I just learned today. Um, I hear the word dementia and I hear Alzheimer's all the time. Um, I always thought they were completely different. So Alzheimer's is a is a type of dementia, is that? Alzheimer's is a type of dementia, okay. probably the most common type, but there are other types of dementia. And the different types of dementia sometimes have a different course or different length of time for the illness to progress. So they're all just a little bit different. Okay, so that <clears throat> that, that did clear something up for me because you hear people saying, oh, my mother or my father was diagnosed with dementia. And then you don't hear that word Alzheimer's and you hear the word Alzheimer's. So I thought they were really clearly different, but it's just a type of dementia. Okay, great. Um, 
Another thing, I'm, I'm jumping around, but like I said, I'm excited with all the different things, but I've heard that the brain injury is often called an invisible injury. And what actually does that mean, an invisible injury? It means you can't see it. You know, if you lined up a group of people in this room, some who had injuries and some brain injuries and some who didn't, you would probably not be able to determine which person had the brain injury and which person did not just by looking at them. Okay. A lot of times people after a brain injury will say, you know, oh, all my family, my coworkers, my friends, they say I look great. Everything's fine. But I know inside I'm just not the same as I was before. Right. We, we hear that a lot with a lot of our, our patients uh, after the surgeries. Um, they go through some pretty intense surgeries that... Um, um, they're really relieved, I should say, when we acknowledge that and we say to them, no, we understand that you're not where you were before. And most of our patients get back to where they were before with the therapies and the cognitive therapies. Um, so it is true. Um, a little bit back on concussion um, that I wanted to ask you because it is a topic, the summer starting, even my son is starting with the baseball and the football um, and unfortunately, he's had concussions, so this is a little close to my heart. Um, how long does it take for a concussion to heal? And what about more significant injuries uh, to the brain? With a, a sports-related concussion or a concussion, you know, that's more minor, where the person may not lose consciousness and may not have to go overnight to a hospital, you know, those symptoms typically resolve within a couple of weeks. Some may linger on a couple of months. But from a concussion like that that is not as severe as some other injuries, the symptoms should resolve. And if they don't, that's when you need to have the neuropsychological assessment and figure out exactly what's going on. From a more significant brain injury where someone loses consciousness, is in the hospital, uh, the, the recovery can be anywhere from a couple of months to a couple of years to a lifetime. You know, it really depends on where, well, how serious the injury is. What they say with brain injury is that typically the most recovery happens within one and a half to two years following the injury. That doesn't mean the recovery stops at two years. It could continue on. It also doesn't mean it takes that long to recover because, again, if someone has very mild symptoms, it may be a lot less than that. And it really also depends on the person's adjustment to their difficulties and their emotional reaction to what's happened because sometimes that emotional reaction can actually seem to slow down the cognitive recovery. Okay. So uh, when you have a brain injury, the best thing to do is not fight that, to kind of acknowledge to yourself that there is something wrong mm -hmm. and, and try to get the help. I guess it's like with anything, uh, any problem or difficulty, you want to acknowledge that problem and, and basically um, get the help that you need. Um, touching base again on, on treatments, um, I've always learned that you, know, you only use a small portion of your brain um, a lot of it's not used. Can the brain be retrained? Um, I know with stroke patients, because that's my background, um, we can teach the brain to uh, move the arm using a little bit different areas of the brain. But is that, you being a specialist, can you retrain the brain if an area is, is injured? I understand if it's a speech center or something like that, it's difficult. That's the speech center. But can you teach that brain to say, okay, this part's not going to work, but we're going to now do these exercises and repeated stuff and retrain that brain? And if so, how long would that take? You know, it really depends on what the specific problem is. But yes, the brain can be retrained and there could be new pathways that formed, that, that form that really take over some of those other functions. But it depends on, I guess, how severe the problem is. You know, so if someone has a little bit of problems with word finding, 
you know, that word finding might not improve so much over time. That may be a deficit that they're left with. But just to be able to find a different way around it, that's the new pathway, trying to find a different way around that problem. And, you know, it just depends on how serious the problem is, how much recovery can happen. And if there are other parts of the brain that are, you know, adjacent to it that can take over that function. Okay. Um, the show is, like I said, been interesting. We have to wrap it up. Um, to go through it again, uh, Dr. Karen Tennyson is a neuropsychologist from Kessler in Chester. Um, we've spoke on many different brain injuries um, that do affect the brain, um, can cause problems that you might need to have uh, the therapy for. And it's not just um, the typical therapy that people know of. This is a specialized therapy to retrain your brain, to learn certain things that you might have lost during it. Uh, we learned that dementia and Alzheimer's is, is something that can be helped to cope with that and support the family. Uh, before we close the show again, uh, Dr. Tennyson, just let us know a little bit again uh, how someone can get a hold of you um, and... Um, let them know if you know where you are if we need you. <laughs> okay, I work at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation in Chester, New Jersey. Kessler has three main campuses, Chester, West Orange, and Saddlebrook. And you can reach me directly on my phone line, 973-252-6380. And that's my direct line at the Chester campus. And I want to thank all my listeners again for listening to today's show from Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. I will be with you all again next Sunday with another great topic. Have a wonderful day. Join us again next week for Answers Live, your community medical connection making a partnership of good health. The preceding program was paid for by Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. The views and opinions expressed on Answers Live are not necessarily those of the staff and management of the station. Management has not investigated the claims made during this program. The views and medical recommendations of guests on Answers Live are not necessarily those of Atlantic Neurosurgical Specialists. As always, consult your health professional regarding any medical decisions.